Good morning. How's everybody doing? Happy Father's Day. Yeah. I, you probably have heard it a couple of times already today, but it would be rude of me to not also say it, right? So uh, listen, so this morning we are continuing. Oh, hey, I'm Pastor Lori. If we haven't met, if you don't know who I am, I'm Pastor Lori. I should have said that. Uh, come up and introduce yourself to me later if, if we haven't met. So uh, this morning we are continuing our journey through Ephesians where we are actually going to spend the bulk of the summer, pretty much all of the summer. And over the past two weeks, you've already heard from Pastor Mike and Pastor Scott about the overview of Ephesians and how this letter is, it, it is a letter that was written by Paul to the people of the church in Ephesus for the purpose of encouraging the church. Uh, just a reminder that if you have missed any of the messages leading up to this one, or really any message ever, you can catch up on past messages by just going to our social media pages or our website and follow the links uh, where you can find all of our, our past messages. So I encourage you to do that. Um, particularly, we know that people travel in the summer and, and you might miss uh, a, a week or two during this series. And we don't want you to miss anything because it's all going to be good, including today, hopefully. <laughs> I really like that the teaching calendar has lined up so that we'd be covering today's section of scripture on Father's Day. I'd like to tell you that the staff and the teaching team planned it that way, but we're going to be talking about sin a lot today, and I don't really want to add anything else to my list, so I am not going to lie to you. We didn't plan it that way, but I do like that we're going to be covering these verses in Ephesians chapter 2 on this Father's Day, because I think whether we have or had a great relationship with our father or not, we all at least have a picture of what we want a father's love to look like, right? Safety, security, loving care, maybe they're a truth teller in our lives, probably, probably doesn't pull any punches with us not afraid to call out our wrongdoings and correct us, but still loves us unconditionally. Now, I realize that this doesn't describe every father-child relationship, but I'm betting whether it describes your relationship with your dad or with your kids or not, you still have an image in your mind of what you think fatherhood looks like or should look like or could look like. So with that in mind, because of Father's Day, and before we jump into today's text, I'd like for you to connect with somebody near you, or if you're joining us online, please type into the chat, introduce yourself, and then I want you to say, who is your all-time favorite TV dad and why? Here's some choices, but you can choose your own and tell somebody why. So you guys go ahead and do that now. Okay, did you guys come up with some good ones? Man, lively. Is this, is this debating or is it just so many choices? Like, are you arguing with each other about who? 
Look, they're not even listening still. Online folks, let me just have your attention. I'll, no, I'm just kidding. All right, type in the chat, or you guys tell me, just shout out a couple of the, of the TV dads that you guys mentioned. The dad from Bonanza. Ben, right? Some, ben? I, I'm sorry, I wish I wouldn't have confessed that I know that. That ages me. <laughs> who else? Charles Ingalls, who was on, who made the list. Yes, the hair, the hair. Mufasa. Oh, I didn't see that coming. Who else? What, what? Archie? Did you say Archie Bunker? You're the second person today that has said Archie Bunker. Didn't see that coming either, I gotta tell you. Oh, Sheriff Andy Taylor, he also made the list, right? It, uh, Jackson and I were working on the list of dads uh, yesterday, and we were talking about, okay, well, it needs to span a couple of generations, because we have people of all ages here. So he was, of course, coming up with all the famous ones of the early 2000s and the 90s, and I was like, well, that's not going to work for everybody in the room. So we threw in a couple of, like, Charles Ingalls and, and Andy Taylor. So, yeah, good. Awesome. That's, that was fun, a little fun trip down memory lane, right? Um, so we're going to go ahead and jump into chapter 2. Again, we're in Ephesians. So again, we, we talked about this is a letter to the church in Ephesus. And it isn't actually a letter from a father to a child. But I want to look at today the ways that maybe because it's Father's Day, the ways that it, it, it could look like a, a letter from a father to a child, especially in the verses that we're going to look at, the specific verses we're going to look at today. There is some correction, there's some calling out of sin, but there are also some reminders of how much the Ephesians are loved and what they are capable of doing because of that love. And the language that Paul uses in this letter, the truth in the letter itself, paints a vibrant picture of the way that God sees and cares for and loves his children, and that's us. This father loves his children so much so that he gave everything he had to and for them. Happy Father's Day to us all, right? Paul continues this letter, his letter to the church. And like Pastor Scott said last week, Paul has turned from his opening greetings and moved into a little bit stronger language for his friends. And these are his friends. The, church, the people of the church in Ephesus are his friends. And you could tell throughout this letter the way that Paul feels about his church family. He is asking them to listen to him and to remind them of God's love for them and to push them into a deeper faith by actually living it out, living out their faith. But as we'll read in this first section of chapter 2, he is also reminding them that the living out of their faith is not in any way earning their salvation. It is simply something that should flow from their faith. So let's check out, uh, we're going to jump into chapter 2. We'll start with verse 1 there. Read along with me. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger. 
just like everyone else. So right in these opening verses, Paul reminds his friends who they used to be. And he's pretty blunt here. He's reminding the Ephesians that they used to be dead because of their sin, that they used to follow the ways of the world, buying into the sin and the world that, was se- that the world was selling instead of following God. And then quickly, Paul throws himself into the mix too. He, he reminds them that, that they, that's all of they, him, them, and everyone, were once dead because of their sin, because of who they were and how they had lived in the past. So what did that sinful life look like for the Ephesians? Well, the text says that it looked like being disobedient to God, following their own desires, being selfish, putting their will above God's, serving and living for themselves. So here comes the first punch of the day. Is there any difference between them and us? Do any of us exhibit any of these behaviors? Do I? Can I honestly say that I don't elevate my will above God's at times? Can I say that I don't want what I want when I want it? And then try to maneuver, a.k.a. manipulate things so that I can get it? The truth is no. I can't say that I never do any of these things, and I'm betting that neither can you. We know that Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians, but it's important for us to recognize as we go through the summer, as we go through the rest of this letter, that this letter is just as much for us as it is for them. This letter is reminding them and reminding us of who we used to be. Let's look at that uh, last part of verse 3 again. By our very nature, or listen, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. And this reminds us that all of us are by nature deserving of God's anger, or wrath, as it says in some translations. We have to remember who we, who we were before Christ. Sinners by nature, meaning that our natural bent is towards sin. We are not the ones who are by nature good. God is. And as depressing as that may be to be reminded of that, it's important for us to remember because that's the thing that should fuel our gratitude toward God. That's the thing that keeps us in the right posture as we live our lives. It's important for us to remember who we were before Christ made us new. And just And just because the language here says that it is in our nature to sin, it doesn't give us a free pass to keep sinning, to keep making whatever selfish choices that we want. That is not the point of grace. That's not what grace is for. We have to own our own choices. We can't just blame our sin on our sinful nature or on the world because that means we don't have to take accountability. And that's not the purpose of grace. The purpose of grace is that we should choose not to sin, but when we do, there is hope. We are not lost for good because of our wrong choices or selfish deeds. We aren't hopeless because of the things that we have chosen over God, any of the things from that list or any other things. 
We have to recognize and take ownership of our sin because it reminds us that we need a savior. I once read something that a pastor wrote that said, the irony of fallen man's dilemma is that he doesn't even realize his condition until after he's saved. We're not even aware fully of our brokenness until after God makes us new. It's important for us to acknowledge our sin. And the truth is, yes, we do have all of the bad parts of ourselves, but God still chose us. But God still loves us. But God, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Amen. This right here is one of the most significant verses in the entire Bible. We are broken and messy, but God has an incredible and unfathomable love for us. He is rich in mercy, and he made us alive in Christ despite who we were, despite the fact that we were deserving of his anger and death because of our sin. But God, in his rich mercy and great love, saved us through his grace and his grace alone. So here's the main message for today. And really for every Sunday, we were dead in our sin. And there was absolutely no way we could ever save ourselves from what we rightly deserved. But God loved us so much that he showed us mercy by not giving us what we deserved. And instead, he gave us the gift of his grace. Now, you may have heard this explanation before. Uh, of the difference between mercy and grace or some version of it. I'm going to show it to you and read it now. Grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve. Mercy, however, is when God doesn't give us what we do deserve. God saw that we were dead in our sins, but God didn't leave us there. Instead, he made us alive again through the death and the resurrection of Christ. We were given new life because of the gift of God's grace that resulted from his mercy. Let's continue reading in the text. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Now let's follow the flow of this. I've said it many times already this morning. First, we were dead because of our sin. Then, because of God's grace, we were raised to new life, along with Christ, and then we were seated at his right hand. Dead, raised, seated at his right hand. Where have we heard this before? Jesus' story, right? We tend to think of that as only Jesus' story, but the truth is that Jesus' story is our story. We, along with Christ, the text says, 
along with Christ, were raised from the dead, given new life. God's made us alive. He raised us from the dead and seated us beside him just like he did with Jesus. Now, the huge difference here is that Christ wasn't dead for his own sins. He was dead because of my sins and because of your sins. Jesus took on what he didn't deserve, and with that gift of God's grace, he gave us what we didn't deserve, which is a new life with him. We were made new. Same God knew me. Let's keep reading. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, Remember a couple minutes ago when I said that we are not lost for good because of wrong choices or selfish deeds that we have done. We are not hopeless because of the things that we have chosen over God. Well, here's the second punch of the day. Neither is anyone else. Grace is absolutely a gift for you and for me, but it is important for us to remember that it is not only for you, or only for me. It's for all. And we've heard this before. When God says all, he means all, right? And that includes people who might make different choices than me. All includes people who look or think differently than me. All of us, all of us were separated from God by our sin, but the gift of his grace has been made available to all of us. And it is a gift. Remember, it is not earned. It is not what we deserve, fortunately. When someone, let me see if I can give you a little bit of perspective with that. When someone gives you a gift, do you thank them and say, great, how much do I owe you? Of course not. A gift is just that. It's a gift. It's not earned. And when you're making out your Christmas shopping list and who's going to get gifts, do, do you let other people tell you who should be on that list? No, of course not. And in the same way, we don't get to decide whose name is on God's gift list. Amen. So when we talk about who we are because of this incredible gift of God's grace, it must influence what we do after. It has to influence how we treat other people and how we love God's children with what we do with our lives. It has to influence all of that. Remember that, God is, uh, that grace is unmerited favor. We cannot earn it. So these things that, that we do, these good things that we should do to love God's children is not an attempt to earn our salvation. We do these good things, these loving and caring things, because we remember what it's like to be saved by grace. When we remember how we received this great gift that we didn't deserve, it should level the playing field with others that you may deem as undeserving. You know what? They are undeserving, but so are you and I. 
let's not confuse grace with justice. Grace is not justice. Justice means that people get what they deserve, both good and bad. And while seeking justice for all should, be, uh, should play a significant role in our lives, grace is not justice. And thank you, God, that it's not, because like we talked about earlier, grace is unmerited or undeserved favor. Grace is a gift that God gives us that we can't earn and we don't deserve. And mercy is that God doesn't give us what we actually do deserve. They are sinners, and so are we. But God, through his great love and mercy, delivers us all from the death and separation that we did earn. And then Paul tells us in that section that God seats us at God's right hand and he calls us his masterpieces. God has given us a new life and raised us from death and seated us at his right hand just like Jesus. Jesus, who didn't earn his death, died so that we, who did earn death, could sit with him at the right hand of God. That, my friends, is grace. And to further emphasize how God sees us, what he was willing to do for us, and how he chose us as his beloved children, let's read verse 10 again. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We have been called his masterpiece. Now, I don't know a lot about art, but I do know that some pieces are considered masterpieces because they seem perfect, immaculate, without flaw. A masterpiece is a creation that has been given high praise and is considered the greatest work of a person's career. Something has to be selected, chosen, and considered worthy or of great value to someone to be called a masterpiece. Can you see where I'm going with this? I have never or hardly ever felt like that description, but that is what God says we are. His masterpieces, in spite of our imperfections, in spite of all of our scratches and dents. Because he made us new. He gave us new life. He took off the label that comes with death. Broken. Bad. Unworthy. And he gave us a new life and a new label. Beloved. By any standards, that's an incredible love, right? That is the true love of a father. We are sinners. This isn't a newsflash, and I think I've pounded it into your heads probably enough for today. But just like Paul's letter doesn't stop with that news, neither does God's message for us. It is important for us to talk about sin as much as we don't really want to. It's important for us to acknowledge that we are sinners because, well, if for no other reason, we need accountability. But more importantly than that, we need to recognize that we are sinners so we can grasp what God has truly done for us. If we can't own that we are sinners, then why would we need Jesus? How could we truly be grateful for what he's done if it wasn't of value? If we, if we didn't recognize our sin, 
Now, I don't personally think that a pastor has to stand in the pulpit and preach every single Sunday that we're all sinners, but I also don't think that pastors should shy away from saying it either. I, you, we are all sinners, but God doesn't leave us, not any of us there. At E3, we have identified a list of values, and there's going to be a picture of it up on the screen. You guys have seen the, this out in the, in the lobby. Um, we'll show that to you in just a second. That these values influence who we are and what we do as a church. We like to say that our values are the guardrails that help us accomplish our mission and our vision for E3, which are both posted in the lobby. I would invite you to check those out if you haven't read those before or to refresh your memory. Now, they're, like I said, they're posted in two different places, and you can see that grace is one of those values. And we have, the staff, spent, the staff and wise council a few years ago spent a long time looking at each one of these values and finding the scripture that supports each one of these values and unpacking it of, of what that means to us here at E3 and how we live it out. And we have identified what grace means in this community, so I'm going to show that to you real quick. Grace unmerited favor. It flows through everything we are and all that we do. Grace is not only how we find forgiveness received as a gift from and through Jesus, it describes and defines how we should view all of life as a gift. Now, we've also identified, like I said, how we feel we should live this particular value out. Our posture towards each other and ourselves is that God's image resides in everyone. Therefore, we receive each other as gifts. All means all, right? While acknowledging that there are real consequences for actions, we do not look down on any particular kind of sin. All brokenness is brokenness, and all of us stand in equal need of grace. All of us. We cultivate gratitude in our lives, believing that everything we are and have been given and, and have is given, not earned, by the grace and goodness of God. We think the best of each other. Now, I tell you this because I want to tell you now a little story about a lesson in grace for me personally, and includes some others. Some of you are here. A few years ago, our church suffered a significant fracture because of this very subject. Who deserves grace? And despite our many years of teachings about grace, that it is not earned or deserved, that it is a gift from God available to all, we lost sight of the word all. Amen. I wish we didn't have to amen that, but it's the truth. We started making judgments on who was eligible for grace, what sins could be forgiven and what sins could not. And when I say we, make no mistake about it, I mean me too. And some might say me especially. <laughs> it was a very dark and difficult season in the history of this church. And as we were starting to come through this season just a little bit, we weren't all the way through it, but we were starting to come through it. And uh, actually, I believe it was in January of 2020, we did a teaching series called Undone. Some of you may remember that. 
And some very talented artists in our church created this art piece here that's also shown on the screens as an artifact of that series. I invite you to come up and look at it. It's very heavy. Don't touch it, please, because it's it might roll, and we don't want it to. We love this piece. And you, hopefully it, you can see, particularly on the screens, that it has the word undone. And it has a lot of shattered pieces of clay with different confessions of sins that our community offered to make this. It was offered through this teaching series, and the artists created an art piece out of it. They, these, these sins were things that people were struggling with in that season. Jealousy. Envy, lies, bitterness, a whole myriad of things. But across the top of all of that, it says remade. Because it is intended to be a reminder for us of the lessons that we learned in that season. That not only was our church undone and still being remade, but so are each of us as individuals. It's a picture that reminds us that this this is us. This shows us that we are all broken, lost in our own sin, but also remade because of God's great love and mercy and because of the gift of his grace. It is a reminder of who we, who we as a church and as individuals once were, but God. So as the team goes into this next song, I want you to think about what being remade means to you. Listen to the words as they remind us of this great and true love of a God that loves us so much that he literally gave everything for us who were not deserving. A true love of a father for his beloved children who he has deemed his masterpiece. Listen to these words. 